You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to Around the Lens, episode 220. I'm your host, David J. Murphy. Joining me this week are my co-hosts, Travis Keyes and Evelyn Hochstein. Hello, co-hosts. What's going on? Another week in paradise. Oh my goodness, of course, of course. Uh, and if paradise is your house, then why not, right? Why do you need to go anyplace else, right? Exactly, exactly. Best place you can be is home. Uh, yep. Evelyn, how you doing? What's going on with you this week? Anything crazy? Oh, nothing crazy. Um, the world of the freelance photojournalist, I think I was lucky to have one assignment. <laughs> so, what was it? Um, last Monday, I followed an Instacart shopper around Washington, D.C., who is fulfilling all of your orders, whoever's ordering online, and he puts himself out there on the front lines to wow. uh, deliver groceries to people who need them or just don't want to go out or, you know, for whatever reason. And he was, it was, re- he was great. He was great. Did and the whole I, tipping thing come up? The whole tipping thing came up. Uh, yeah. Some people are super generous. Um, yeah. And since the article ran, I've gotten a lot of notes from people saying, hey, they're going to they're really going to pay attention to tipping and myself included. I mean, you know, I've done it. I've been ordering my parents who are elderly groceries online and you click through a couple screens and you forget that a human being is actually going to be running around the stores. You know, it takes a long time and a lot of things aren't there because stock is out and they um if, you know like this matt was the guy i was with he he really you know worked hard it would take him a long time to finish an order and then drive to the person's place so yeah were, tip well, I read about uh, some other things of people incentivizing by putting a huge tip and then canceling it what? so the, the shop would go want to go and bring it quickly to them and then they would bring put this huge tip in and then change it so uh, that's really interesting i guess on instacart you see you already know what the tip is going to be. That's, that's the point, is they see that it's a huge tip, and then they, when they go deliver it, they can change it. Oh, so my they God. change it. So yeah. that's going on. That is crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's terrible. And that's I, I read a whole article on that. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I got a couple messages from people saying that they, like, went back because you have days after your order to, like, add to your tip. And some people told okay. me to do that. So that was really nice. And also, too, I um, – I tried to use Instacart, but I couldn't even get a delivery for like three days. Yeah, say so. yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. That, you know, it's like it's a four day wait. Oh <laughs> it yeah. didn't work. I don't know. He must be work. People must be ordering days in advance, and then because what? Have the- a certain amount of people in your area that do it, and then you know if they're booked or they're not working that day, then it, it puts it off to another day. Yeah, so he's just responding to calls as they come in, but I don't think it's like me sitting at home saying, I need groceries in two hours. I think there's a huge queue, and whoever's online is picking that up. Mm, so yeah. it's really interesting, but he was really a good guy, and it was a little stressful. I realized, you know, going to three different grocery stores. I mean, the post was like, don't go into the grocery stores. They, okay. they specifically told me that, um, but I'm already going to grocery stores, so I, I made the decision that um, – I felt okay with it. I wore a mask and it, it wasn't something I'd be doing different in my regular life. And I kept my distance. I mean, I didn't shoot with a 16 to 35. I shot a lot of long lens stuff. And, Did you uh, find uh, from one store to another, they were varying what they were doing? Because I know around me, there's one store that was actually, you know, implementing, you know, people waiting outside, only a certain amount of people inside. They were, you know, you could see them visibly wiping down the carts as people came in. It's like, and then there were other stores like Stop and Shop. It's like, no, just come on in. <laughs> yeah, I would say that it big varying there's a big varying degree and everyday things are changing. Like the Safeway in my neighborhood was just jam packed. Now they've got people with um, markers outside and they're only, but it, I mean, I think that only started like yesterday or two days yeah. ago. So it's it varies. The, the landscape has changed. You see all the plexiglass up and you know, you know all yeah. that stuff and keeping distances. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that for the checkout, the plexiglass. I just saw that at CVS um, yesterday. And another thing now the mask wearing is ubiquitous. Um, so like overnight, all the shoppers were wearing masks and that was a big, a big change I noticed. And now some stores are saying you have to wear masks yeah. to go in. I haven't experienced oh. it, but I heard about it. Yeah. They just mandated that on our base actually as of the 11th, oh, you have yeah. to wear a mask if you're going into certain stores or places of business and then on base generally, you, you don't have to wear it unless you're going to be unable to maintain social distance. 
So, and when they're saying mask, it's okay for like the, all these handmade masks and, and bandanas. That's what they're meaning, yep, right? Pretty much any yep. any sort of covering, face covering is what they call it. What I noticed, and I I have been not I have not been wearing a mask very much. And my my take is when I do wear it, when I wore the mask, I end up touching my face so much more than if I don't wear the mask because it's hot, it moves, whatever. You're readjusting it, and I felt like. It's not a, a, a serious medical mask anyway, and I felt that I am much more aware if I'm not wearing the wet mask to not touch my face and then go home and wash my hands immediately. That was my one of, one of the selling points is to wear the mask so you don't touch your face as much for because it, yeah, it, it reminds you like, not to touch your face. But look at people wearing masks; they're constantly taking them down to like. I know, but that's that's you know. Yeah. Well, that could go to the Everybody's point smart. where people aren't like don't have good masks. Because I mean, it's a difference than some homemade cloth mask that's just I'm, covering your face, yeah. and and like getting a professional mask that's like actually covering over your mouth area. Because the mask I have, it doesn't impede or touch like my lips or anything. You know, it's very easy to talk with and breathe in. But then again, it's a professional mask, right? So I mean, as long as you're covering your face with something. At least in areas where you can't maintain social distance, I think you're, you know. But yeah, pro mask. There you go. I just yeah. Put it up, put it down, put it up. Yeah. yeah. The real deal here. That's that's the right way to do it. Yeah, that's the perfect mask. Yeah, buddy. but is that, is that actually going to prevent the like micro? I don't know anything about it. Like, yeah. there's thing about. When I was shooting pieces uh, in abandoned places about shooting asbestos and all that kind of stuff, so this is a very highly you know, interchangeable filters and all kinds of stuff in this. Yeah, okay, I guess. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's a lot better than the N95s. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I don't have an N95. I'm wearing my homemade mask, so for me, so I was like, just above that one necessarily be better, or it's about the same. I, you know, I think it's if I'm sneezing or if I, you know, it, it might help other people yeah. but yeah that was my take i just felt more felt there was more contact yeah. you wear a mask bruce um i do um i i bought some n95s way back when because they're you know i used them for uh sanding and you know do, doing repair work and stuff like that um but i've been photographing the uh first responders up at lennox hill and i wear the mask and uh you know, to protect them, and you know, who knows if who knows if I have it. The whole thing is, is that if you don't know that you have it, you could be spreading it. That's absolutely, absolutely. Why I mask. But the mask, of course, throws um, screws up my viewfinder. So yes. if I wear if I wear my glasses with the mask, it fogs up my glasses. So uh, I'm sitting there trying to shoot. I take the I don't need the glasses, but I shoot and I'm sitting there and I can't see through my viewfinder because it's all fogged up. Um, so uh, it is a back and forth problem. But then some of the places that I've been to, such as uh, the slums of Dhaka, I wondered what or the or the marketplaces of Cambodia, I wondered why the heck I'm not fully masked in those places, and that was you know, five years ago. So, um, God only knows what I was looking at there. So, yeah, well, let's use this opportunity to introduce you. Of course, people who regularly yeah. listen to the show should know who Bruce Byers is. Cause you know, he's been on so many times. Glad to have him always back every time. Uh, Bruce, give the audience the, the quick, uh, rundown on who you are. Uh, I've been here in New York, uh, professionally since 75. So, uh, I've seen it, done it, been there. Um, Did you get the I've, T-shirt? Uh, I have the T-shirt. Oh, good. Yes, it's right. Can you see yes, it? That's a black umbro. Very good. Uh, I, I didn't realize that was the T-shirt you got for seeing it and doing it, but now I know. It's like, um, and so I, um, I do everything from uh, advertising to corporate. Um, I love documenting, uh, telling stories. Um, I developed uh, camera odysseys as my um, travel workshop um, business, taking people to as many places in the world as I can, and we have a great time doing it, and uh, people really learn what's going on. That's, mm -hmm. um, you know, streetmoments.com is my fine artwork, which I love to do. I still shoot with that uh, old school Leica with the uh, film in it, uh, it's the, my darkroom. 
because I love that uh, fiber-based print to be able to hand a one-of-a-kind piece to somebody. Yeah. Hopefully for the fall. So uh, that's me. Yeah, I got to say, you more than anybody really has had your business probably upended by this whole thing, right? I mean, obviously we all have, but you know, you are specifically a travel photography teacher person. So how has this, how has COVID-19 affected you and your business? Well, I was, I was supposed to be going to, I had a really great trip to Nepal and, and then into Bhutan. And I got the guys over there saying, what's up, what's up? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we're not going to see you. Um, then I've got uh, the people, incredible, great friends all over Cuba and some great trips there, and and all of a sudden, there's a one guy that I know. He went there to do some research <laughs> for two months because he's from Colombia, and they shut down Colombia. But I was supposed to be in um, in uh, Islamabad, and then go up to the north into the um, into the farming district to do a a, um, a water project, and that got shut down. Uh, because two guys came in from Iran early on, and they had the virus. And my guy that's over there says, "Don't come." And otherwise, I'd probably be in his, at his farm in the back room, waiting this thing out for the last month or two. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you come out to South Korea, you can spend 14 days in a hotel being under quarantine before they let you out in the general pop. Do they have 14-day uh, rates? Uh, they, well, I think it's like a hundred bucks a day, so it's not horrible. No, actually, if you, well, I don't, I'd have to double check the policy for like the general, you know, like a visitor. Quarantine doesn't. Yeah, I think you still have to stay. Days free. Yeah, I think you still have to stay in some sort of quarantine status uh, for fourteen days because obviously you can, they're gonna, you know, you come arrive, they're gonna, in, you know, give you a test when you arrive. Um, so that could solve, you know, the United States testing problem. Just send everybody to South Korea because you will get a test when you arrive here. Uh, and then uh, if you're positive, you immediately go into quarantine or you stay in quarantine. If you're negative, you still stay in quarantine. Um, but, you know, you have to stay in for 14 days in quarantine no matter what, just to see if anything develops. Um, right. But, you know, yeah. So anyways... But uh, glad to have you back on, Bruce. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about this week. Um, before we do that, though, Travis, was there anything that happened to you in the last week that felt you feel like uh, talking about? No, keeping busy. I mean, I you know, I, I, it's it's hard not to talk about uh, you know what's going on in the world with coronavirus and stuff like that. And you know, as the 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 self isolation endures, you know, longer and longer, it's it's it it really kind of sits there and kind of dawns on you how quickly are we going to ever return and is. Is it going to ever return to what we thought about? Because like now thinking about sitting in a packed movie theater, you know, uh, on an opening night for a movie is so foreign now. It's just like you almost can't, like the movie industry has now changed forever. Would you want to sit, you know, next to, you know, you never, these are things you didn't kind of think about before. Now the world has changed and it's like the longer we go in this isolation, the harder it is going to be thinking about coming back and how it is when we come back. So definitely been dwelling upon that and uh, thinking about that. No, absolutely. That's that's definitely a concern, and we're you know obviously making those same type of calls here in in the peninsula, and you know I mean you, you said like when would you feel comfortable going back? Well, I mean, what if there are zero cases for two weeks? Then would you feel comfortable if there are no cases in in your area or in the United States? Yeah, it's going to be a small thing because suddenly you know now we're all very aware of germs and washing hands and and crowded places and uh, easily things spread from people to people i think it's it's it, it, it it'll go back but it's never going to be quite the same especially for a lot of us it's, it's you know especially for those that it's, it's hit hard and close you know now that i've had many friends uh, have it and uh and know a couple people that have passed away from it and uh it's entered my circles it's it's uh it's hit a lot harder than you know for some people like oh are you still doing shoots i'm like no absolutely not doing shoots if you shouldn't be doing them yourself <laughs> It's like it's like well if I'm self isolating I'm away from everybody else and it's like well what happens if you got hurt and you know suddenly that EMS has to come and get you isn't that a whole different story now because they're taxed and they can't come to you and because of your selfishness of going out it's like so all these you know different thoughts now are you know entering my head and it's a different world yeah absolutely I, I think things are definitely <clears throat> change for sure um, well I think I, I think that until they come up with a not a cure because it's a virus and you can't cure the virus. But Sometimes if they come vaccine. up with the yeah. vaccine, I think nothing's going to happen. Everybody's going to stay where they are. 
because it's sort of like if if I get, have it and get it over with, we don't even know if the next person can give it back to me or not. And so how can I then go back out again? So even if I have it, like with the flu, you have the flu and yeah, maybe you won't catch it again, but you can still transmit it. So it, it's such a it's that silent killer out there. It's almost like a, a uh, horror film that n- you never find out what's in the room. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing that we've seen, I've seen in the news recently is like people have it and then they'll be cleared from it. And then they'll come positive again. And, you know, it's like the question is, are they getting sick again? Or is it just dormant and it just got detected again? So, you know, yeah, that's obviously uh, actually a really good thing about horror movies. And it made me think of The Thing, which is, you know, suddenly it's like everybody looked the same and you had no idea if the thing was actually in one of those people. And that's what made the movie so scary. It's like, you know, there's a room full of people and you all seem fine. But one of you has that thing in you. It was terrifying. Yeah. Well, let's change from terror to something to take our minds off the coronavirus and get to our first topic this evening. The coronavirus. Um, yeah, no, no. Right? <laughs> uh, we are talking about um, this. Uh, this well, we actually already talked about this topic, but there's been sort of it some did, but new. It's changed a little. That's right. There's been some new stuff with it, and let's go ahead and dive into it a little bit. Basically, uh, the story is that Iranian photographer Salmaz. Dariani accused German photographer Maximilian Mann of plagiarizing her work uh, by covering a similar topic and choosing similar sort of selects from that shoot. Uh, the Docs Collective, which is a photo collective that Mann belongs to, discovered that there were some shots that Dariani claimed were copies, but they weren't in the public domain, so to speak, on her website. So they weren't publicly visible. So they're saying, like, how can you know, our photographer guy be accused of copying you when these photos weren't even out there to be seen, right? So obviously, you know, Dariani kind of responded to this saying like, hey, the periods of time you guys chose for this, you know, my website's dynamic. It changes all the time. I choose different pictures. Who knows exactly when the photos, you know, I had were up. So obviously, you know, what do we think about this ongoing case? And do we think, you know, the plagiarism accusation actually holds water? You know, regardless of anything, you know, we can we can talk about is this plagiarism or is this not plagiarism? So uh, why don't we throw it over to our guest first to kind of pick his brain about it. Bruce, Bruce, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I was uh, I've been shooting the, the first responders up on Lenox Hill and there was first couple of days there were no photographers and then the the third day all of a sudden there was six photographers there some guys who were wedding photographers that became all of a sudden journalists and a couple of guys that that had accounts with you know whatever with magazine or whatever and i said to the guys you know the only thing we got to be careful of because i'd seen the thing before is that we can't get in each other's way we just gotta we just gotta record what we're looking at and um Everybody was shooting, <clears throat> when we started shooting, everybody was shooting the same thing. Obviously, everybody was shooting a little bit different. You put out 10 photographers in one place. How do you know that when I go back to my computer that I'm not going to pick the exact same shot that Travis did, and he's standing right next to me, the chance of the three of us shooting in the same place at the same time, the same firemen, the same whatever, that we're all going to put it up at the same time. So is that is that plagiarism? Is that this one, this one runs a little different because it's not one location. It's it was a, a series of images that span multiple different locations and different places and different people, and 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 those became similar. So you know it was it was suddenly like if you Bruce if you you know shot uh, in one place and then went to another over a week later and then another place a week later and suddenly the, there's the guy puts up you know photos that look hmm these look very similar to me why did he go to the exact same places and has the exact same kind of angles and the same kind of you know people and 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 comp- composition so it, you're not talking about you know like one event where everybody's standing in the same place you're talking about multiple it's kind of like but if you, you were to go to cuba bruce and do a award winning photo story about the life and and times in cuba and then a few years later someone creates another award winning cuba photo story and they have similar types of shots and similar types of locations. That's that's kind of like the context here. But had they seen my work? 
again that's the whole point of this article if you yeah. if it's a, it's a it, yeah in this case it would be an award-winning photo shoot that you created oh, and published okay. yeah. it's well known so we what we went from the first time where i was so adamant i'm like oh yeah this is just blatant to now uh, i'm like i've said my piece and everyone was like well read the new stuff so i read it i'm like all right well this has changed a little bit you know it's like there is a lot it seems that the original photographer uh is kind of trying to make a case against the plagiarism, and it seems there's some photos that were never actually put up, or supposedly never put up, so he couldn't have seen them. So this is a definitely dynamic, changing kind of story. So you don't know which side is a little more honest than the but other at this point. Is this verifiable? That's what kind of what yeah. I wanted to know, because it says, Doc says that following a tip, um, that the collective found the Wayback Machine had archived the project twice, and that there are notable, let's see, let me just get to the, anyway, whatever it says, it says that the, per, that the photographer, um, that man could not have seen the photos when he was yeah. doing the project. Now, is that 100%? Do we know that 100%? Because right, we can't, right. I can't give, you know. Well, you can go know. to the Wayback Machine and see, you know, for yourself. If... I don't think I know what the Wayback, like what, you know, <laughs> is there, are there ways that your stuff could have, you know, the Wayback Machine didn't, get everything that was ever published well, you know I, I have no yeah idea. that's kind of the argument that she's making and saying like hey you just chose like two random dates right or whatever out of the, you know i could have had these photos on other dates and you know i mean that's the kind of way that the wayback machine works is you can choose whatever date and whatever date that it happened to archive your website at that time uh, but yeah, for those who aren't uninitiated un or unaware uh, the wakeback machine basically archives the entire internet from you know, all the time. So if you want to see what your website looked like five years ago, you can go there and, and see old versions of it. It's actually pretty neat. Yeah. You know, another thing, though, that you guys mentioned, which is, is on topic, but off topic, it's like the photojournalistic thing. Let's say I'm a photographer based in New York and I want to cover coronavirus and I haven't been out and I'm going to go now to New York next week and I want to get the entrances to the hospitals or get the first responders. Well, I might go to the exact same place where you were shooting, Bruce, and wait for you know first responder to come out. I mean, I'm not necessarily, and it may look totally the same, but I think sometimes in photojournalism or in breaking news stories where there's only so many ways to tell the story. Now, I don't know, there may be other ways to tell the story, but I would probably, that would be my starting point. I wouldn't know where to go to that hospital in Queens. I'd look at what everybody else was shooting and then I'd go scope out the area and mm -hmm. if I had to repeat the same in and out concept, I'd, I'd probably do it if I couldn't find something new and original. And it would be new for that week. And that's the thing about photojournalism. It could literally look exactly like your frame that you shot two weeks earlier, but it would be new in the journalism story for the week of April 12th. Yeah, I think that the, the when we're talking about, you know, plagiarism, something like that, it's when you're stringing a, a group of images together and they all certainly have a, you know, similarity and, you know, and in in, con in composition and context and stuff like that that's when it becomes you're starting to blur the line so if you know if you had eight pictures and i had eight pictures and seven of them looked exactly the same in different places in the same co composition then you go wait a minute <laughs> it's like yeah what the what are the odds of that you know so it's uh, i think it's a, you have to look at it in context and yeah but this is real what do we think about i mean it is pretty fascinating that if if this guy didn't see this, the other if man didn't see the original photographer's images, and he shot eleven thousand things, um, it's it's pretty fascinating that this even that it got whittled down to this nine picture yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Well, I mean, what it tells me is that there are these striking images that exist that come out of this story. It's kind of like music, right? You know, there's only so many chords and tones mm -hmm. and whatnot and certain tones go to better go together better than others and i think in this instance you know both these photographers both professionals both you know trained well to see images saw the same basic things and the same stuff um you know and my personal take on it is even if like i put out some awesome piece of work and it was award-winning and it was highly regarded and then a couple years later somebody does the exact same story and captures similar images you know, like I can't own a subject, right? I can't own a topic or somebody, t I can't, you know, copyright a topic or a subject. If somebody wants to go cover it and do exactly, I'd say that's more on them in terms of, you know, maybe calling into question their creativity or their ingenuity versus, you know, so much as on me, like it is what it is, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, feel um, offended or, her, this is you know, 
something that's award winning. Right. Like he's winning an award for this work. And so be it. I mean, that's just, I would not personally have an issue with it. So that means that if he won the award with a fisheye lens and he went and I went to the same place, does that mean I can't shoot that same place with a fisheye lens? No, I mean, because that's what I'm saying. It's like it doesn't matter if someone does the exact same story you did. As long as they do the work and put in the footwork and whatnot, I mean, they can copy the exact same framing, location, shoot, everything. You, you don't own a subject. You never own a topic or a subject. And it's just like with coronavirus, and we were talking with our guest last week, there's an overabundance of imagery of people wearing masks, of people of empty streets and stuff like that. So You wouldn't get very far in originality. And, the, and no, but Dave, to your, I take your point totally, but, you know, you can't, like, write... Yeah, I mean, yeah. and take the same photograph if the photograph wasn't there was it a building that's sitting there and he took it from the same angle i mean it, it obviously weren't any people in this thing because you can't the people were gone from the first guy to the second well I don't, one person i think that was the same um it's a climate change story about a drying up lake and okay. so you know there's a shot of a boat that's like docked with there's no water around the boat and they're all slightly different but i, I just to a point in this article um the original photographer is saying that there was no archive for the days that they're claiming so i you know it still sounds very controversial like i don't think you can prove either way the the other question is is who edited his film and was the person that edited the one that picked the like images? Or did the photographer submit those nine? Did somebody else look at this work who had seen the first photographer's work and said, ah, oh, this is this is great. So is it maybe the guy chose chose like the first guy from the other? You know, if it's a boat sitting there and a guy shot it 18 different ways, um, they picked the same shot because that was the best of the best. Yeah, they don't go into Somebody that much detail. I, I pretty think I'm pretty much sure Maximilian shows his own photographs for this. Um, you know, but again, my point is, you know, my take on this is it's not plagiarism because, you know, you can't plagiarize a topic. It's it's too loose. And again, I wouldn't if I were on the World Press Photo, I don't know selection committee, and this issue is raised to me. I wouldn't um, disqualify his, uh, you know, uh, a submission. Even if he came out and said, yeah, absolutely, I saw her work, she got some great stuff, and I copied, you know, got similar photos. Okay, so fine. You're, you're not creative. You're not original. But that doesn't mean I, it's plagiarism, in my opinion. I could be wrong. You could disagree, but, you know, that's... Isn't that exactly what plagiarism is? <laughs> Well, <laughs> and sorry, I had high winds here. My power got knocked out for a second, so I'm back. <laughs> oh, okay. Welcome yeah. back. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, if somebody creates a, a documentary on the I mean, Tiger King right now, are they going to be plagiarizing yeah, the Tiger King documentary if they choose the, if they choose to cover the same subject and choose to cover it the same way? In, if they went in and asked the exact same questions, got the same answers, and shot the exact same locations and stuff like that, yeah, that's sort of plagiarism. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, but is it plagiarism or is it just unoriginality? 
you know like it's not it's not copying though but it but it is i mean if 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 i you're gonna get different you're gonna get different answers you're gonna get different reactions you're gonna shoot it from different angles you know I mean, but there, but there, a lot of the angles were the same. A lot of the shots were the same. And and you're talking about, you know, you know, when the the water with the bush one, the the boat one. These are these are these not like they were shot from different angles. They were shot from the same angles. You know, uh, these these are huge spaces. And you know, to shoot them ex the exact same angles, that's that's a problem. I'm not saying this this one is plagiarism because there seems to be a lot more to this story. But if I if if you have 15 pictures and I go out and copy seven of them. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to do the same angle, the same kind of this. I'm, I'm going to put him in, in purple because that guy was in purple. And he's like, yeah, that's plagiarism. It's uncreativity. And it's, it's you're you're then you would need to credit the source material, just like you would do in a book report or a, or a news article, um, you know, or copying words. It's the same thing. It's plagiarism. You know, it's um, I mean, I think I'm reading more through this and it it's like unclear whether the archive existed or didn't exist. So taking yeah. that out of the picture. But they mentioned the use of fixers. And I'm sure Bruce used fixers and I've used fixers. So Mann is not Iranian. The other photographer is Iranian. So maybe Mann hired a fixer and the fixer, you know, yeah, takes that was a good point. Yeah. I worked with a fixer in Afghanistan who was like, I'm taking you to where Steve McCurry shot his famous tank photo or where this happened. It was like all every place Steve McCurry had ever taken a picture, <laughs> you know, in Kabul. And it was cool to go around and see that stuff, but you know. Um, so you plagiarized Steve McCurry, huh? Okay, I see how it yeah. is. Uh, I don't know. I didn't need to help him probably with uh, whatever he was doing in Kabul. I heard some stories when I was there. Um, so you know, um, there's that. You know, and how am I? And I had, you know, I not aware of every you know a fixer might work with 10 different photographers and take mm -hmm. them all to the same places because they make good shots yeah. and i may not have seen the other photographer. i'm not talking about Stephen curry but any photographer yeah no it's a very good point well th yeah. i'll throw the topic back to you travis you know and again i created the sort of scenario like he knew exactly what was going on and he copied it you know deliberately but if he didn't copy mm -hmm. this the topic deliberately i mean again there is five years or something between these two no and I, and I said there's there, there seems to be a lot more to this uh, right. this story than just saying yes it's plagiarism not plagiarism i think you can plagiarism photography and i, I think it has been done and, and people have lost awards and, and and been outed for for doing this have they um Oh yeah, absolutely. What was one instance? I'm just curious because I haven't. There, there, there have been a, there have been very several uh, um, award-winning photos that were were, were copies and and, and uh, from from Nikon to to uh, Canon uh, awards that were that they were, they took back the awards because they were exact copies of someone else's image. Oh really? Hmm. Oh yeah, it's happened. It happens oh, like once a year. Oh okay. In world <laughs> yeah, press photo competition or uh, in different in different types of things, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the photos here. Maximilian in uh, in 2019 has got guys loading I guess it's salt into bags. In 2015, the guys shoveling salt out of a truck. How? I that can't, that's not plagiarism. The guys do the same thing in the same place. Yeah. It's photographing what's happening in that. In that place, yeah. and they're completely no, the, the, different photographs. The, the point is, if there's 15 photographs, right, and you're you're talking, you know, and for some reason there there's similar photographs on everything. It's like, why did he choose to do one on salt, one like when he could have done maybe there was grain people next door, and maybe there's the other thing, but he chose the salt image. He chose the same. They're all same images of the same place, the same thing. How is it randomly that someone does the same images of the same people, of the same places? Of the same, there's more of a thread to it. So he may not identically copy the, the photo, but he copies the story. So if I see, oh, Bruce has ten pictures, and one is on uh, a duck, and one's on a goose, and one's and I show, shoot a duck, a goose, when there's a whole zoo there of, of different animals, how does he suddenly choose the same duck, the same goose, the same, you know, instead of the lion, the tiger, the bear, the you see that that's the thread of it. It's you have to put all the pictures in context together. But you all, but you also have to know the location that you're at. If if he'd shot what eleven thousand pictures when he was there, what else was there on both sides? And and if these if if it was a small area and there wasn't much there, yeah, we can make an argument for either side because we don't know. But 
No, no, that's that's and if we knew, then I think we could make a real quick decision as to if this guy ripped the other guy off. And also, if he saw the work, I I, I go I go to Google Google Maps and look at the look at the uh, satellite vision of of a place to go see where the best place Ooh. to shoot. Well, yeah. I'm sure other people do the same thing. So we oh. end up at the same dock with the same boats. Is that? me plagiarizing the last person that was there. It is if you looked at his picture and, and copied the same angle and the same everything. <laughs> yeah. Or the Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame. Uh, yes. Uh, there's always extenuating things. You're, you're talking about a, a single, you know, a, a single, you know, landmark. Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can do it. it it's the it's when you take a series and the similarities throughout the series, not one image, but uh, similarities. So you have six or seven or eight images that are very, very similar. So you have to look at the whole context. Five years apart, like suddenly nothing's changed. There's no new profession. There's no new. It's like there, there's there's too many things that tie together. Now, maybe they painted it that way, and they're trying to out it that way. But uh, and and like I said, I can't prove it on this one. I think there's more information that comes out on this one. But uh, if if you know you have ten images and eight of them are very similar out of eleven thousand, come on, that's 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 not uh, coincidence. I'll be very <laughs> curious to see what decision World Press Photo make on this uh, project yeah. in the end, because then when that happens, we'll bring this story back up and we'll talk about it again. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic this evening. Uh, we're talking about the wonderful world of macro photography, something I'm sure we're all familiar with um, and have done at one point in our careers. But how often do we actually do it? Uh, so a landscape photographer who obviously couldn't go out and photograph landscapes because they're probably stuck inside or quarantining or whatnot. Uh, they actually built like these little he built these little like macro scenes um, for his, uh, his, his photo studio. And so it got me thinking about macro photography, uh, as a sort of tool, right? You know, I've got a macro lens. It sits and collects dust in my closet, but I do have one. Um, so, you know, I want to throw it out to all of you. When was the last time you did macro? Um, how do you think this photographer did with his macro work? Um, and has, has sort of being stuck indoors maybe got you thinking about using your macro lens or, or maybe lenses, any lenses you haven't used in a long time. So uh, I'll throw it over to you, Mr. Travis. You're the, you're the creative one, creative of the, you know, I'm, we're all creative, but you're the one creating these awesome little multi-portion, you know, duplicate vignettes going on in your house. So I figure you're probably thinking about all kinds of weird things you can do. Have you, have you thought about using any of your macro gear? Or shooting macro shots? I actually don't. I don't own any macro uh, lenses. Um, so uh, if I had one, I'd probably be playing with it right now. I mean, I've always uh, loved some of the stuff that people do with macro, and you know, you just see you know different worlds and you know in things that you never saw before. So I think it's a, a fun time to be creative. And, and if I had one, I'd be playing with it. But uh, I, just one of those lenses I've never actually kind of bought. And uh, right now, I, I kind of wish I had one because it'd be fun to play with. But uh, um, yeah. The, I think one of the great things about forcing yourself outside of the box right now is to do all those things that you don't do on a normal level. So if I can get my hands on one, someone send me one, I'll play with it. <laughs> well, I mean, you can get away with a lot of macro style shots with a normal lens. You know, if you yeah. just zoom in on something from a distance. I've certainly done that. And I've, I've played with a bunch of different, you know, things and, and, and done that kind of effect. But uh, a true macro lens, you know, really getting into those nitty gritty and, and cool stuff I have not done yet. Okay. Um, how about you, uh, Evelyn? Ever ever used a macro in any of your work? <laughs> Not really. Um, I've shot some food, but I've done it like with, you know, I mean, it's not even that as close as, you know, the way he was shooting the flowers. So, no. Not my, not my back. Not opposed to it. I mean, I just have never gone that route in my very sort of narrow photojournalistic career. Um, yeah. Yeah, you don't see a huge demand for macro photography in the photojournalism world unless you're like doing something for Nat Geo, you know, and they want like the yeah. the, the the hidden world of the, you know, <laughs> the bugs and stuff like that, in which case you're doing some sort of like bug studio work, you know, and you're like who is it? Who's the guy? You know, we've had Joe McNally, you know, who's doing some cool thing or you know, some kind of series on whatnot, but um but uh, have you, have you, I mean, you've been inside a lot, you know, have you done anything with your photo gear, sort of any sort of interesting 
or you just basically keep the photo gear in a bag and you take it out when you have to go on assignment. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've seen some cool things. I, the times when I get creative or when I'm walking my dog at night oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. you sort of see people in their windows. The other night, uh, like last Saturday or the Saturday before, um, it was totally dead. And I live in a neighborhood in D.C. that's got a really active nightlife. And there were two guys in their window, like obviously doing like a Zoom DJ party. And they had like oh neon lights on, headphones. And so I, I grabbed my camera, it was like one in the morning and, and hmm. photographed that. But again, I fall into the like the photojournalism side of things. Um, so yeah, that's that, those are the things that I'm, I've been paying more attention to. The quiet, the, just the change in the neighborhood and what it's like at different hours. Hey, I'm curious, for something like that, that's not like a commissioned work, right? Um, do you just, throw that up on your agency do it like do you throw, do you pitch that to an agency or email to someone or do you just throw it on your website how do you how would you sell that photo i guess i'm probably maybe not that good at monetizing my work i mean i just thought i'll post i haven't even posted yet i'll post on instagram okay yeah that's about it if i, if I felt really what was that bruce what'd you Become the peeping Jane. You'll be down. Yeah, to, down they were the cool. Station. They were waving at me because I was like, "This is, might be a little creepy," but um, <laughs> you know, it was it was fun. Um, I don't think I felt super caught. I mean, it was night. I think it was at like thirty two hundred. At like you know, these guys are dancing in a, maybe a thirtieth of a second or something. So I feel like if I had gotten a great shot, I would have pitched it to like the post and just said, "Hey, I have the shot. If you're doing a slideshow or a package yeah. or something," yeah. um, and they have been running plenty of things like okay. that. Um, so. There's that up. Yeah, no, I'm just curious. And, you know, again, I think it's an interesting perspective on the whole how we're all responding to COVID-19. Like, I think I saw, you know, a photo story or a story about somebody who's walking around their neighborhood and taking pictures of people on their porches and stuff like that. Right. You know, kind of capturing sort of life as it is now. So just kind of made me think about that. And it just made me think about, too, again, how in general, like, again, I know some people like have they work for agencies, right? And I wonder if you could just throw something up on an agency, you know, website, you know, and have see if it gets sold. But you know, again, you're working for like the post or something, so you're submitting stuff to them directly. I mean, you know, I don't do that much spec stuff, but I think that's the kind of situation, I guess, as a freelancer, and maybe I could learn from other freelancers, so people weigh in or comment, whatever. Yeah. But I would think if you have an, a good relationship with an editor, like randomly or anonymously maybe posting it might not get you very far maybe it'll get you like 50 bucks you know because things that sell on the web are really yeah. cheap but you could pay to cnn news or washington post or new york times i have a good standalone feature can you make space yeah. for it or it's unique have something cool and i think then you might you know you could definitely go that route if you felt really confident about that kind of image okay. so i think i think if you've got a lot of images like this and you do work for the a mag you know like the post like you do um to put up a photo shelter account and and start putting these into different um and, uh, folders and then submit these to your editors could be really cool because you'd have them all there and they could look at them they could download them and you could Put it on there that they have to pay to download and all that but it would be great that and then it's not you know like anonymously submitting you say hey check out my website of stock that i've been shooting on the side because you're not doing the assignment so it'd be good i use photo shelter all the time to do that you could see a whole when i come back from a mission i put the entire mission on there so that they can go in and look at it at their leisure and be able to pick what they want and it's a really good way to show work and try to get it sold. Cool. I know I've been talking to a bunch of people uh, that are, you know, professional photographers and stuff like that that are trying to adapt during, during this whole time. And uh, they want to keep people in their ecosystem of their website. So they're actually added uh, into their website a stock uh, photo uh, tab. So people literally from their website can hit the stock issues and have have them contact or, or get it th right through their own website, which is, is fabulous. Uh, and I thought it was a very smart thing to, to do. And I've seen that from uh, agencies to reps to uh, photographers doing that now. So Bruce, are you doing much macro work or have you done much macro work in your career? <laughs> well, when I in in the film years, I shot uh, Nikon. So I'd always walk around with like nine lenses and one of the lenses was my normal lens was a 55 millimeter wonderful very sharp lens but it was a a macro 
so you could use it normal and then zoom in to like millimeters so it was fantastic and if you're using the normal lens and you wanted to shoot macro you didn't have to change anything you just go over there and start shooting macro it's fantastic it was uh so you know i i can't remember exactly what i would shoot but uh if i was on a cruise ship and i needed to shoot the whole ship i'd use the 50 and then i could sit there and do all these in intricate details very easily yeah. so the macro lens that lens was really versatile lens cool. are you doing any photo assignments to keep yourself kind of occupied during this sort of stay-at-home quarantine are you doing anything creative well, I'm I'm doing that every you know put all the protection on and going to um, 77th and Lex where the fire department comes and they do the cheering, and then I come back the next day, and I give them prints. I'm, I go to Xerox my my printer print out these kind of Xerox prints, and I give the photographs to them, and and the, the smiles that come on these nurses' faces just amazing. Um, uh, and, uh, of course I put them up on Instagram and I think I got 30 new followers because of it. Um, but I put them on Facebook and, you know, where can I get them? I said, go to Facebook and take them off of that. I don't care. It's for you guys. So it puts a lot of smiles on their faces and it's, it's kind of wonderful. And my other project is ever seen these things. It's kind of blurry. Uh -huh. <laughs> Contact sheets. One more time. Don't, so, don't come on, on his photography like that, Dave. That's not nice. So I've been, uh, hey, that's not that blurry. No, it's the filter <laughs> you have on. Yeah. So I, uh, I've i been going through a lot of old uh, contact sheets and uh, scanning, you know, just for the, that's a, one of the sideline projects. So. Yeah, I know if I had my film here and a film scanner, I'd probably be archiving anything I didn't already archive. Um for me, I just kind of been, you know, going around the house and going outside, you know, around the house and seeing what I can capture. Because, you know, it's, it's interesting what um, constraints will do to your creativity. I know when I was trying to do like a photo a day project and I'd end up at be 1130 at night. And I'd be like, uh, I got to find something to photograph. And I'd look at my house and every single weird, uh, crazy angle to try and find that shot or that, you know, creativity out of it. And so, yeah. That's that's what I would do if I were, you know, stuck inside and couldn't go out anywhere, as many of us are. But, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our last topic this evening. Uh, we're talking about Nat Geo, National Geographic. Um, they have this new grant uh, where they're offering one to $8,000 for people who are covering the COVID-19. Uh, so there you go, Evelyn. You could pitch your, your photograph of the nighttime Zoom uh, house party to Nat Geo, maybe get get some money that way. Uh, but the issue here is that their terms and conditions basically say that the photographer has to essentially give up the rights to all their uh, you know imagery and whatnot. It's it's here on their their website. Basically, it says you know by uploading this, you grant the society worldwide perpetual license to display, distribute, reproduce, and create derivatives of your content in whole or in part without further review or participation from you. So a lot of scary language there. Um, what do we all think about this? Is this something, you know, would we, do you think this is just basically your, your standard legalese and we shouldn't take it too seriously? Or is this something that you would definitely um, perhaps um, prevent you from even considering applying for this grant? Uh, I thought it was a outrageous rights grab. I mean, if you're getting a thousand dollars and I, I don't know what the monetary, what would make, what would be the right amount of money, you know, for a person. But I thought probably more people are getting a thousand than eight thousand. You know, I don't really know how it works, yeah. but that like, you know, thanks for not much. Um, it, even if they want to publish your work and they're only going to give you a thousand dollars and you're covering COVID, it just all around didn't seem like a good deal. You know, like, Help photographers, if you then want to give them some money to support a project, if you want to run it, if you think it's worthy to run on your website, like run it for the amount of time or usage that kind of corresponds with market rates for photography work, you know? Yeah, yeah it seems to be something that's coming more and more common. And, you know, they mentioned here websites, Unsplash and 
Life Framer and these other sort of websites, I guess, are looking to get, you know, the rights to all your imagery. Uh, well, you, Bruce, you think about, you think Nat Geo's kind of overreaching here? You're justified in what they're doing? No, I, I think this is going to be the the new norm. All, all the professionals are sitting here saying, no, that sucks. The other million guys who bought cameras and think this is fun thing to do oh i can get a thousand bucks they're gonna shoot like crazy they're gonna give it to them they give it to them for free let alone for the thousand dollars they have absolutely no idea that this is a rights grab yeah they have they're not even reading it they they go wow i was on the i was on instagram for 2.8 seconds yeah well, maybe those people won't care, but I think a professional photographer that's looking to apply for a grant from National Geographic exactly, and then gets maybe two grand, and then the next thing you know, your image is on like an advertisement, it sounds like, for, you know, Nat Geo for the next documentary on pandemic as a no, still image. I mean, that could easily happen. No, no, that's what I'm saying. The the There's going to be so much shot because they're offering it that the professional photographers are going to be meaningless in this because they're not going to the competition is going to be a huge amount of people shooting so the photo the professional photographers that say no national geo goes oh so what we got all this other stuff well that's like saying though that all the amateurs are producing enough great work that out there you know like looking at on your Instagram screen is different than looking at something right magazine but, I, or something. but I'm saying that National Geo might be lowering their standards in order to to be able to get it for nothing that's a problem too I mean none of that sounds like a good scenario for anybody oh, it sounds sucks. great totally. for, the, for the iPhone photographer who gets you know first of all they're not applying for a grant this is for a grant that you'd be applying for for National Geographic so you got to decide who's going to go and apply for that grant. It's probably somebody who wants to be a photographer, you know, has it in them, either they're professional or an amateur, and they're going to see this opportunity. I think my take as a professional, $8,000, that's a nice chunk of change, you know. But let's say they run my story and I've spent all this money. You know, I don't know what, it's, what that story might be. They're funding a project. Maybe that $8,000 would be enough for me because it got my project out there and it funded it and it was published but i don't know if you could then publish it in another place or space right. so it, it just seems limiting um i think if they want to fund if the society or whatever they're trying you know national geographic wants to fund photographers fund them they maybe get first rights but you know in perpetuity yeah. they i know they it doesn't seem to really jive with like the whole mission of National Geographic. And I get it. They're all different platforms now at Nat Geo. There's digital, there's this, there's that. And just like everybody, they're trying to get cheap photography. And there are a million platforms you can use it on. But as a grant applying photographer, I don't know who would necessarily go for this. Yeah, it just kind of this whole story and everything, the more I think about it, just slapped me as being something like, there's no one advocating on behalf of the photojournalist in National Geographic. You know, for them to devise this program and push it out, it seems like it's it's who even in Nat Geo is thinking of this as a you know a, a pitch to push out to the general public. And then I guess it sounds like they're just letting the lawyers do what the lawyers are going to do and then push it out. You know, there's nobody on the staff who's reading over the terms and conditions and saying like, "Hey guys, as a photojournalist." This is totally, like, unfair, you know, and, uh, you know, there's no one advocating on our behalf there. And it's it's sad. It's sad for such a, a magazine of such, you know, regard to just, you know, not, not care at all. Hmm. Yeah, like I, I totally agree with the idea of maybe giving Nat Geo a year's worth of rights or something like, you know, first dibs, but not exclusive forever. You know, definitely would have to be something like, hey, you know, this is good for like a year and then we'll renegotiate or something like that. Or, 
you know, maybe it's like I've seen, you know, we've had other people who've talked to where they, they've paired up with like New York Times or something to do a project. And it's like they both have the rights to those images. It's like co-owned rights, right? You know, you can still do whatever you want to do with the imagery and they can still do whatever they want to do with the imagery. But no one is going to stop you from, you know, pitching the, the photos or reselling them your own self. So, yeah, perhaps we can get someone from Nat Geo on to talk about it. Wouldn't that be nice? I saying this story is going to get people to interested in applying for this or sure yeah yeah I mean that's that's the uh, the risk right you know the double-sided you know the double-edged sword right you're gonna you're gonna essentially give them a platform but I think Nat Geo as a platform itself could promote this and whatnot. And, you know, I think it's good for them to identify because it's like if I saw this on Nat Geo's Twitter page or whatever, I'd be like, ooh, that sounds very intriguing. But, I, you know, I would definitely take a second look at this now that I know like, oh, there's a rights grab. So, you know, yeah, it will probably raise people's awareness. But I think what is this website? The Faux Blographer. I'm sure that they have a large following, but I don't think they have a larger following than Nat Geo, but I don't know. I don't know. It's like, what do you do then in that situation, Bruce? Do you not bring up the, do you not raise the issue? Because, you know, you're going to, you know, what's the sort of, yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah, but but it gives it gives them the option, right? You know, even if they're not gonna, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Some lawyer threw it in there, sort of like you know stock verbiage that they put in all their contracts, right? And yeah, maybe maybe the people at Natio didn't even know this was inserted, right? Maybe it was just something like you know the creatives over there being like, oh, cool, we can get some great shots and help support photographers during this trying time. And the lawyers are like, oh yeah, we got to put the boilerplate verbiage about owning everything that's uh, submitted, just because you know we have a website, right? But I mean, um, you know, Evelyn, have you applied for grants in your history of of doing freelance? That's good, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, it looks like we lost Travis, um, but I'm sure he'd he'd love to chime in about about this and other things. But um, if he comes back on, we'll definitely get his opinion. But if not, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the last bit of show that we have here uh bruce oh, what do you got going on you want to tell people about um before you sign off tonight yeah
Summer of 2021. I think that's that's your best bet. Yeah. 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 And if you did shoot that, you'd probably be accused of plagiarizing someone else's shot. <laughs> how is how, how is Cuba doing, buddy? How, how are the people down there? You said you have friends, you know. I mean, how are they doing down there? Are they doing all right? Perfect. Okay. You heard it, folks. Bruce Byers, open invitation to his home. Just, uh, you know, brave the, the outside world and uh, get over there. Gosh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's gotta be scary. I mean, I got my mom, she's oh my gosh, she's in her eighties and I you know, I fear for her because she's in Florida, right? And I mean that's one of the big epicenters, so you know. But as long as you're staying indoors, you're washing your hands, uh, and you're kinda cutting down on that, you know, interaction, doing that social distancing. You should be okay. Should be okay. Evelyn, you got anything? I'm sorry, go ahead. What's up, Brute? Yeah. Evelyn, I got this great idea for a project for you, 100% original. You go and you photograph first responders, and then you print those photos and give them to them. 100%, the brand new topic. Just thought of it off the top of my head. Nobody's ever done it before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally different. Not plagiarism whatsoever. All right. <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to do it yeah right. just don't win any just don't win any awards from it then you'll be fine all right or you know you could just uh, up, send it to uh, Nat Geo and try and get some money from them for it but all right well I think that's going to end our show this week thank you all for watching and listening uh thank you so much Bruce for coming on the show appreciate your time as always 
Um, for Evelyn Hochstein, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 220, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com.